Okay, John 14. It's been a while since uh, we've been doing John. Do you remember where we are in John? You remember John 12, do you? John 12, Brian did it. The big emphasis in John 12 was the hour hasn't come, the hour hasn't come, hasn't come, then suddenly the hour has come. Right? That, so that was the big turning point in John 12. So we are on this side of the gospel where the hour has come. Okay? So the hour has come, Jesus will be betrayed and he will be handed over to be crucified very soon. During the Last Supper, the disciples are obviously very worried. For the past three years, this man, Jesus Christ, has been their wisdom. He has been their strength. But now, Jesus is going to leave them. Their hearts are, of course, troubled and afraid. But trouble and afraid can be a very vague common expression. We can be troubled and afraid by many things. But in this case, what is it about Jesus going away that makes them troubled and afraid? What exactly are they afraid of? What are they troubled by? Well, a very brief look across the book of John, all the way from chapter 1, you can see that there is a strong theme of fear, and afraid. It may not be as strong as in the book of Mark, but it is still there. Listen carefully as I read to you these verses that I have collected throughout John. It will become obvious to you as you listen to them, what is it that the disciples are afraid of? Okay? John 7 says, Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about Jesus. John 9 says, his parents, him referring to the, to the blind man that Jesus healed, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. John 12 says, many even of the authorities believe in Jesus. But, for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory of man more than the glory that comes from God. John 19, which is after the crucifixion, which we'll be coming to in a few weeks' time, Joseph Arimathea, he's a disciple of Jesus, secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might have the body of Jesus. Lastly, John 20. This is the evening of the day after the crucifixion. The doors of the room where the disciples were, they were all locked. Do you remember why? For the fear of the Jews. It is quite obvious, isn't it? John is trying to show us that there is a strong sense of fear of the Jewish religious leaders. And I must say that it is quite a reasonable fear, don't you think? These men are very powerful people with strong political connections to the Roman Empire, which is the government of that day. They are like BN, stronger than BN actually, much stronger, sorry, bad comparison. And these men... Not only are they strong, they never liked Jesus. Never liked what he said, never liked what he did. 
And not only do they not like Jesus, they used their power and arrested Jesus. In a few weeks' time, we'll see that they arrested Jesus with a band of soldiers, with a captain. They all come equipped with lanterns and torches and weapons. Of course, you're not impressed, lah, but they're like the iPad of today. All right? They come equipped with weapons. This is who they're dealing with. So, if you were the disciples, sitting there in the upper room, entertaining the thought in your head now, that a time is coming when your leader will be going away, will you be afraid? Will you be fearful? Well, some of us may say, or may ask me, I wish you asked, you're asking, well, Kenneth, the Jews are coming to take away Jesus, but not the disciples. Jesus is the one that's going to kill, not them. So why should they be afraid? Well, that leads me to my second point. The disciples should still be troubled and should still be fearful because they are those who love Jesus. They are those who love Jesus. In the passage today that we have just read, Jesus makes it very clear that those who love him will be those who keep his commandments, his word. And by that, I don't think he's referring to just specific ethical commands, but he's referring to the entire body of teaching, the entire worldview of Jesus. Take a look at these verses. 15. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 21. The ones holding my commandments and keeping them is that who loves me. 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. There is a very strong natural connection between loving Jesus and keeping his word. Adopting his worldview. And I guess this is not really that foreign an idea to all of us here today. Because we people today love to follow the word of the people that they love. Loving someone and therefore embracing his teaching is not new to us. Any Apple fans here? Doesn't work in Malaysia. Okay, not even one. Lin, he uses an apple? No, you don't. You don't. Just. Well, if you are an Apple fan who admires and loves Steve Jobs, you will treasure his every word like gold. You will want to hold on to and to live by his philosophy of life and his words of wisdom. Right, Chingy? <laughs> you get my point, right? It's a bad illustration. Similarly, these disciples who love Jesus, they want to hold on to every word of Jesus. They want to live by them in their lives. So the, correct, the connection is strong. And simply by holding on to the words of Jesus, his teaching, and living by them, that is enough to bring trouble and fear to their hearts. Why? Why? Let me read to you some, just a few samples of Jesus' teaching, and then you'll probably figure out why yourself. Okay? John 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 
And we just saw in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 15, that we'll see next week, is equally offensive. Please do come back next week, okay? If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch in withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. These are all the teaching of Jesus. Jesus claims that he is the only way to God. He is the only truth. Only in him do you truly live and will ever live. There is no other way. And in John 6, his own followers say this. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So, I asked, should the disciples be troubled or fearful? They should. For loving Jesus involves them holding on to his teaching, which is so radical, so offensive, and so distasteful to their world. If you were them, wouldn't you be fearful to stand up and live by these such radical teachings? Well, the last reason, the last reason why the disciples should be troubled and fearful is that Jesus is going. Not just going, going, but he's going to die. Disciples will soon witness for themselves Jesus being arrested by the band of soldiers. He'll be trialed, he'll be flogged, and eventually he'll be crucified. They'll see it with their own eyes, the soldier piercing his side, and for sure, their leader, their teacher, is dead. Jesus has left them. These disciples are alone, without a leader, alone. Wouldn't you be afraid if your leader leaves you alone? And so, did I just ask, or did you just ask as well, should the disciples be afraid? What are they afraid of? They should be troubled. They should be afraid. And quoting the movie, The Fly, if you know it, they not only be afraid, but very afraid. Well, that is the first century disciples. They should be afraid. They should be troubled. How about us? Disciples of Jesus today. Ever since becoming a Christian, have your hearts ever been troubled? Have your hearts ever been afraid? Trouble in the, not trouble in the general sense, uh, where you do not know what to tweet or what to Facebook for this hour, or for the younger ones, you are troubled because a pimple has just emerged the night before your first date. Not trouble in that sense, but trouble in the sense where you are caught in a situation where you are troubled, you are being confronted by ideas that are different from your belief as a Christian. Ideas that challenge your Christian faith. You become confused. You become troubled. And usually, that is followed by being afraid and being fearful because you feel intimidated to insist and to hold on to your Christian belief anymore. And this usually happens, of course, not on home soil, like here, or Smack One, or ACA, or in your Bible study. It usually happens when you are not surrounded by any Christians at all. 
when you are the only Christian around, like in your workplace, or for many of us, even at home, at the reunion dinner, in a party, in your college, the five out of the seven days, basically. Well, actually, I didn't need to ask you that question, isn't it? I did not need to ask you whether you have been there. Because I know, as Christians, you and I are those who want to love Jesus. Because we know that he loves us. He laid down his life for us, that we may live. And since loving Jesus means that we want to hold on to and to live by his teaching, guess what? I do not know you guys personally, but I'm very sure there have been times in your life that you have been troubled, you have been afraid, simply because you are a Christian. And you want to hold on to those Christian values. I'm sure. Many years ago, I had my first job interview of my life for an engineering position. There were two interviewers there. One is the boss, I remember that he's bald, and there's a floor manager. Uh, he read my resume right in front of me. He commented many things, just commenting, nothing, nothing much, just commenting. And he came to the, the section where he says religion. You have to fill up different sections, it's religion, it's actually Christian. And he just commented very, very insignificantly, oh, you are a Christian. He didn't, I don't think he even planned to ask any further question. But I was nervous. I was afraid. I jumped in immediately and said, uh, yes, I'm a Christian, but don't worry, Mr. Cole, don't worry. I'm not the rigid kind of Christian, if you understand. Uh, I try my best going to church on Sunday, but religion for me is really in the heart. That's what really matters. I'm not church on Sunday, but it's fine. It's here. So, if the company needs me, don't worry. Count on me. I'll be there. Come on, guys. If you're laughing at me, I was alone. I was fearful. What do you expect? Unlike Jesus, this man was physically, tangibly in front of me. And he is my right bowl. And he's going to chart my future for the next few years. Where was Jesus? Well, think that if you think that I'm alone, think, try this experiment. I didn't try it in the other congregation. Turn to your neighbor next to you and say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as loud as gung-ho as possible. Yes? Okay. Okay. No problem, right? No problem. Chinese New Year is still around the corner. In the next re- in the next dinner or the next company dinner, do the same thing. Turn to the person next to you and say the same thing with the same guys. Get it straight. I'm not trying to instill guilt feeling here. Okay, that's not the game. The point is loving Jesus holding firmly to his teaching, living by them in this world, is a very troubling, very fearful, and very lonely business. 
If you are a Christian and you haven't been troubled or afraid, you are probably a super duper Christian. Or you haven't been loving Jesus and haven't been living by his teaching. Or you have been troubled, you have been afraid, but you are too proud to admit it. Come on guys, should Christians be troubled and afraid today? We must be kidding ourselves if we say no. Even the gung-ho apostle Simon Peter, who said, Lord, I lay down my life for you. He even drew a sword on the night that the high priest and the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. And he attacked the high priest in order, not the high priest, the servant of the high priest to protect Jesus. That was how gung-ho he is. Even him became fearful and denied Jesus one, two, three times. And just nice, at the third time, he swore, saying, I do not know this man. Christians today have all the reason to be afraid and fearful. Why shouldn't we? At least the disciples had Jesus for three years. They saw Jesus walking on water. They saw Jesus raising the dead. They saw Jesus winning hot debates hands down against the rich and the powerful. What do you have? You have not even seen him. In the office, in the interview, in the reunion table. You have always been there alone, haven't you? (laughs) Has Jesus ever been in sight? Disciples of Jesus, whether it is back then or now, have all the reasons in the world to be troubled and to be afraid. And yet, and yet, God's word, as read to us today, just told us and will continue to tell us Chapter 4, verse 1. See what he said. Let not your hearts be troubled. And see if that is not enough. He said it again in verse 27. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I can find no other way to read this verse except the way that I've just read. Jesus said, let not your hearts be afraid. But is he for real? Does God know what he's saying? Let not your hearts be troubled in this world. Friends, thankfully, he does know what he's saying. Because he's God. He knows exactly what he's saying. And that is why Tonight, we need to listen to him. In the upper room during supper, Jesus knew the hour has come for him to come to the cross. He continues to prepare his disciples for his departures. He teaches them and he explains to them patiently why they shouldn't be afraid, why they shouldn't be fearful. And you and I, need to hear these words. Take a look at with me with these these verses. 
verse 15 to start off with. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Go down to verse 28. He says again, You heard me say to you, I am going away. I am coming to you. What is Jesus saying here? On one hand, he seems to be saying, Hey guys, my disciples, don't worry. I'm going, but I will send someone else. Someone else to look after you when I'm gone. And this guy is going to be called the helper. Right? On the other hand, he seems to be saying, Hey guys, don't worry. I'm going, but I will be back. I can almost imagine this conversation that the all confused, always confused Peter is having with Jesus. You can come with me this, uh, this little imagination with me for a while. It's a biblical imagination, by the way. Peter will ask, uh, Excuse me, uh, Jesus, who did you say will come again? Jesus replied, I told you, Peter, the helper. Read verse 15. Then, unlike us Asians, uh, Peter will ask again. But, Jesus, didn't you say in verse 18, I will come to you? In fact, you also say in verse 28, I am going away and I am coming to you? This is definitely not Asian, isn't it? Because Asians wouldn't challenge a teacher like that. To which Jesus will reply, Yes, Peter, I said that as well. Then you can see, Peter a bit blurry. How come he's yes to both answers? Then Jesus is to step in and say, Peter, go read your Bible properly, okay? I say in verse 15 very clearly, another helper. Another helper. It means that you all this while for the past three years already have a helper. That's me, Jesus. And now my Father will send you another helper, another one who is just like me. In fact, Peter, a few years from now, a guy whom you do not know yet but will know called Apostle Paul, he will write a letter which will be called Romans, and in that letter, he will call this helper the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. Don't misunderstand. Jesus is not the Spirit. He is the Spirit, but Jesus, but I, Jesus, will be with you forever by the Spirit. Jesus says, I will not and will never leave you alone as often. Jesus will be with them forever by the Spirit. Friends, the point is, the disciples will never be alone. Jesus will always be with them by the Spirit. Look at verse 17. It says, The Spirit of Christ dwells with them and will be in them. In them. 
And verse 23, Jesus says again, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, that is the Father and the Son, will come to him and make our home with him. This is not new, because the New Testament has always been very consistent in teaching us this unbelievable, but yet true and amazing truth. This doctrine of the indwelling of the Spirit in the believer. And I spent four years in college to learn that it is called union with Christ. Okay? So you see union with Christ is basically a late, uh, I don't know, uh, academic way of saying that it is the indwelling of the Spirit in the believer. Paul himself said in Galatians, Christ lives in me. Apostle Stephen, if you remember who he is, do you? He was surrounded by bloodthirsty Jews. He was being stoned to death. Was he alone? He wasn't alone. Acts 7 says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Brothers and sisters, let us take a moment, seriously and literally a moment, and let us let this truth sink into us, to the very bottom of our heart, as deep as we can go tonight. Believe this truth. To us, the disciples of Jesus, who love Jesus, who keeps his word, to us, Jesus lives in us by the Spirit. He lives in us by the Spirit. We may have questions about the precise nature of this union. How can one person dwell in or be united with another person? How can one person who is God, who created the world, lives in me, human, who is finite and sinful? These are good questions and we should pursue them. But tonight, for now, let us listen to what God is saying to us. The Lord Jesus dwells in us by the Spirit. The disciples are never alone. And do you realize what huge implications this truth has to our Christian life day to day? What does it say? about all the times in the past and in the future when you and I felt alone and will feel alone. If you are young and you haven't felt alone, talk to the older ones around us. The time will come and it will catch up on us. It will come. In the office, at home, at the reunion table, or even at a funeral, you felt like you were the only weird one around who loved Jesus and lived life as he has taught us. Troubling thoughts will start to creep in for sure. You start saying, I'm alone. I'm alone. No one else seems to believe what I believe. How would others see me if I continue to live this way? Will I be accepted? Where do I go from now? To find my self-worth and my identity without the acceptance and approval of these people. I'm alone and will be alone. 
And in fact, this truth extends to all situations of our life. We, when we thought that we are hopelessly alone, and it always starts with, I'm alone, then self-pity will start to sip in. And then before you know it, we'll start saying, no one cares. No one understands. I am alone. Brothers and sisters, that is why we must get this. We are never and will never be alone. And we can be very sure of this. This is not an imagination. This is not a psychological game. We can be very sure of this because the one who has never, ever be alone from eternity was made alone because of us. He for our sake cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God, the Father, accepted Jesus' perfect sacrifice. He glorified him and that is why he sent his spirit to be with his disciple, with you and me, dwelling in us today. We are not alone. It is good news and there is more. Take a look at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I say to you. Jesus knows exactly how weak the disciples are. Throughout the entire Gospel, as we have been reading, we know how weak the disciples are. The disciples have been failing again and again to understand Jesus' teaching. Probably in your cell group, whenever you read about the disciples, you are banging your heads. How can these people be so silly? Can't get it. But guess what? We're in the same shoes. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, God knows how depraved we are as humans. There is no one righteous, not even one. Not one of us, not one of us understands. We claim to be wise, but we are fools. So God knows exactly how without understanding we are. So Jesus is saying here to the disciples, the original disciples, guys, you shouldn't be troubled, you shouldn't be afraid. Why? Because when the Spirit comes, I will teach you all things. I will bring to your remembrance all that I have said. That's his promise to his disciples. And verse 26, this verse is the reason why you and I have the very word of Jesus himself in the palm of our hands. The reason we have this is because of verse 26. The Spirit of Christ living in the apostles back then taught them and helped them to remember the words of Jesus spoken to them when Jesus was alive. So in a way, we can't read this verse thinking that Jesus is going to help us to remember the, all that he has said because we never lived with, with Jesus. But Jesus has promised and has done is that he helped the apostles to remember every word and it was, record, and it was recorded and preserved for us. 
And that is why we can confess today with the reformers sola scripture. Scripture alone is sufficient. Why? Because whenever we are troubled, whenever we are afraid, we are not alone. The Spirit of Christ in us will take God's word, God's inscripturated living word, and he will teach us, he will encourage us, he will correct us, and he will train us in righteousness. You and I have all been taught personally by this Spirit through the Scriptures. And we can testify to this truth, can we not? We have heard him speak to us. It is real. We are not alone. Let me now finish off by showing you how I think verse 27, 30 and 31 fits in. Of course, there are other verses that I have not touched on as well. I'm happy to take any questions. But now let me just deal with these few verses that I think will help you. Verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus had all the reason in the world to be troubled and to be fearful. He will be arrested, he will be stripped, he will be flogged, he will be mocked, he will be crucified. And more than that, he will be taking the cup of God's wrath that we deserve upon him. He will be forsaken. At the trial, Jesus said this to, Je- uh, said this to Jesus. He said, Jesus, do you not, do you not know I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus said that, yeah, Caesar said that to Jesus. Jesus could easily have taken up Caesar's offer not to be crucified and he would have peace. He would have avoided the cross. But because, verse 30 tells us, he loved his father and therefore he kept his commands. He achieved true peace for you and I. Peace between a holy God and sinful man. And that is why Jesus could say what he said to the disciples in verse 27. Take a look. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Sometimes you are Christians and we read this all the time. It becomes a very normal question. But you think about it, it's a very daring question. This is not Miss Universe talking, you know. Miss Universe can say that I want world peace and she doesn't need to achieve it. It's empty words. But this is Jesus saying, how dare he say, peace I give to you, my peace I give to you, unless he's able to achieve it. Do you, do you, do you, do you see how, how, how strong this, this statement is? How daring he is to offer world peace? And this is the peace that the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us gives us when we are troubled, when we are fearful. 
when we feel like we just can't hold on to Christ's words anymore because the opposition from the world is just too strong. I spend one Sunday night in church with Christians, maybe one more on weeknights with Christians, but guess what? The rest of the five days, I'm facing opposition of the world and it's too strong for me and I can't hang on anymore, Jesus. You feel like throwing in the tower and you just go for the temporary peace that the world offers. You just can't do it anymore. Holding on to Christ's words in such a hostile world, you just can't do it anymore. And guess what? You are right. You are right. Exactly right. You can't do it. You can never live in this hostile world and yet hold on to Christ's commandments. It's too big a task. Who can do it? You can't. But brothers and sisters, you can't. But God can. Jesus, who lives in us by the Spirit, can. And He has done that all the time. Just look back at all the times when you're faced with opposition and yet you are able to stand firm. It wasn't you who do it. It wasn't I who did it. It was the Spirit who dwelt in us that did it. Believe this truth, brothers and sisters. The Spirit has come. We are never alone. We can cast away all our fears because Jesus is here. He lives in us today. Let us pray.